It's Mailbag Monday. Does Lefty Carson Wisenhunt debut for the Giants in 2024? Let's talk about it. You are Locked On MLB Prospects, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, welcome on in to Locked on MLB Prospects, your home for all things minor league baseball. I'm your host, Lindsey Crosby, award-winning baseball writer and podcaster, and thank you for making this your first listen every single day. We're proudly part of the Locked on Podcast Network, where it's your team every day. And today's episode is made possible by our friends at FanDuel. Make every moment more. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's 150 bucks if your team wins. Visit Fanduel.com slash locked on to get started. So we did a show in last mailbag. We talked about pitchers likely to debut in 2024. And one of the guys I didn't mention that we were specifically asked about as a follow-up was left-hand pitcher Carson Wisenhunt of the San Francisco Giants. And there's a possibility that he debuts in 2024, but it would definitely be second half of the year. So, backstory on Carson Wisenhunt was one of the top lefty pitching prospects and top college pitching prospects entering the 2022 season, his draft eligible year at Eastern Carolina. The NCAA suspended him for the entire season because he was deemed guilty of using a banned supplement. So he missed the entire regular season in 2022 in in college. He pitched on the Cape. It looked, the stuff looked to be roughly the same, but he was rusty as to be expected. The Giants took him the, I think it was like the very last pick of the second round and gave him a healthy overslot bonus. He gets in, they, he pitches a little bit. They send him to the fall league trying to make up for that lost time. And then last year, he gets 16 starts between single A, so that's San Jose, high A, that's Eugene, and double A Richmond with the Flying Squirrels. In those 16 starts for Carson Wisenhunt, one and one with a 2.45 ERA, 58 and two-thirds innings, 83 strikeouts, or 12.7 strikeouts per nine, to 23 walks, 3.5 per nine, three total home runs allowed. So 0.5 home runs per nine innings, whip of 1.023. And there's a couple things that you notice from 22 to 23, and then throughout the 23 season that can give you a little bit of hope and a little bit of confidence that he's done the development you need. The first thing is his draft profile. And even after the draft into what we saw in the Arizona Fall League is his fastball kind of sat 89 to 92. I know that we discount lefty fastballs a little bit on velocity compared to a righty, but he sat 89 to 92, could touch 94 or maybe 95 as he there around the draft, even all the way through again through the Arizona Fall League last year. This year, He sat 92 through 95. He touched 97. Fastball velocity got better with, and that's after he adjusted to the pitching every five days versus pitching once a week. That's a, again, that's a much bigger adjustment for a pitcher to do 
than a lot of, I guess, uh, prospectors and fans and things like that realize is going from that college schedule to that professional schedule is a tough adjustment to make. So the fact that after an offseason of workouts and conditioning, he was able to raise his velocity and maintain it in his starts, very good thing to see. And we saw him at in the Futures game, just absolutely eat for an inning. That's what all those guys do. Jacob Mizorowski broke 100. They all let it eat for an inning. But the fastball, again, low to mid-90s, 95. Touched 97 with it. It felt like it had some decent ride up in the zone. And because it was single-A, high-A, double-A, I don't have actual numbers on this because that's proprietary StatCast stuff. That's not publicly accessible StatCast stuff. And... Some of the different scouting profiles, depending on which which prospect site you read, have different opinions of it. The MLB Pipeline rankings, where he's ranked at number three, talk about that his fastball has good sink and bore and doesn't really have great life up in the zone, and so he has to command it really well to not get barreled. Baseball America talks about he was able to dominate with the fastball, and it's got good riding action. A little bit of discrepancy. Both of those, I feel like, are a little bit out of date. From what I watch, and again, he improved the velocity during the season, but from what I watched, it appeared to have pretty decent ride up in the zone. And we've already seen in this postseason how teams have, or I guess pitchers have adjusted and more sliders up in the zone, more sinkers up in the zone, because hitters have gotten better at hitting that that forcing fastball up. So we'll see what happens going forward. But the big star for Carson Wisenhunt is the changeup. Sits in the low 80s, like 80 to 83 or so. It's, pre- it's a pretty consensus 70 grade pitch. I think Baseball America called it the best, the best changeup in double A, where he again he finished the end of the year there. And MLB Pipeline talks about, I believe they gave it a 70 grade as well. It is one of the best if not the best changeups in now in the high minors. It has really late vertical drop. It's it's been called trapdoor action everywhere that I've read. So late vertical drop on it. And then the third pitch, which is fine. It's I'd I'd call it average to maybe above average, a little inconsistent, but it's a two-plane breaking curveball. Sits in the high 70s. And so if he's pitching to a righty, it dives in on their feet. Right, So you'll throw it over the middle of the plate and it dives in at their feet. If it's against a lefty, if they match up, it's diving down and away. Uh, I do think he needs to tunnel it a little bit better, but the control of it seems to be okay. And throughout the year, you would see the fastball command come and go. It felt like he got the extra velocity on it and he had to work a little bit better to command it and land it in the zone where he wanted. But for the most part, Carson Wisenhunt looks like he's going to be a three-pitch pitcher. It looked like he was comfortable throwing the curveball when he needed to throw the curveball. Again, it would break in on the feet of a righty. It would break down and away to a lefty. And he did struggle a little bit more against lefties. He wasn't bad against either handedness. The, the, the line for opposing hitters against Carson Wisenhunt was 177, 268, 273. Again, he only allowed three home runs all year. And he only there was only four stolen bases on him in eight attempts. He's quick to the plate. He's good at holding the running game. But when you look at the righty lefty breakdown, all three of those home runs 
were from righties, but for the most part, lefties hit better. So lefties batted 226, 294, 290, whereas righties batted 157, 258, 265. I don't know if that's a sequencing issue. I don't know if that is just something about how the pitches play. Again, where that curveball is breaking down and away to a lefty versus breaking in on a righty, I don't quite know, but uh, just something to watch for. Again, it's not bad. I would take a two, you know, I would take a two twenty six, two ninety four, two ninety slash line against for for either handedness. So you're fine, but something interesting to watch there. Uh, as far as is he going to debut in twenty twenty four? I think you've got two things to be mindful of. One is his innings. We've talked about that jump in innings that you see and how much a pitcher can increase their innings before it's a detriment. And he threw this year, so 2023, competitively, he threw 58 and two-thirds innings. In 2022, he threw a total, again, officially, because obviously between summer ball, fall ball, and the little bit he got after the draft, he officially threw 30 innings. Now, in reality, obviously, he threw a lot more than that, private bullpens, things like that. But being mindful of the jump, he probably starts in A. He only got six starts there uh, towards the end of the year in Richmond. Now, he looked pretty good in most of those. He had two starts where he gave up multiple runs. Outside of that, he looked pretty good. He finished the year with, an, with a, I believe it was an elbow injury, a left elbow strain. Expected to be fine for spring training, not needing to have Tommy John or any of that stuff. But there'll be a question about how much work he can do. I don't know if the workload increase will allow him to pitch all the way to the majors next year. But if San Francisco decides they want Carson Wisenhunt to come up and get some starts, the starts will be there. Because of the returning pitchers for the Giants, nobody outside of... Logan Webb pitched more than, I think, 100 innings. Correction, Sean, Man- Sean Manea pitched like 120. But Ross Stripling pitched 90. Anthony Descalfini pitched like 99. Kyle Harrison debuted. He got 35 innings. But the starts will be there in San Francisco. I just don't know if because his offseason is going to be disrupted by the rehab, as well as because of his low innings counts the last couple of years, if Kyle Harrison, I'm sorry, if Carson Wisenhunt gets a chance to get meaningful innings at the major league level in 2024. In just a minute, had a question about former top prospect Kristen Robinson and his major league prospects. We'll talk about that next right here on Locked on MLB Prospects. But first, today's episode is brought to you by our friends at FanDuel. You can score early this NFL season with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook, because right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 Moneyline bet. That's $150 if your team wins. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel and the MLB postseason was not enough to push you over the edge, now is the best time to get in on the action. The app is incredibly easy to use. There is a wide range of betting options, spreads, player props, over-unders, and things like that. Visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and kick off the NFL season with FanDuel, an official partner of the NFL. 
Welcome back into Locked and It'll Be Prospects doing a Monday mailbag. Next question was, I believe it came from YouTube, talking about Christian Robinson, the former top prospect for the Arizona Diamondbacks, who has had a, a very interesting and unusual career. So, 2017 international free agent was a top prospect in both 2018 and in 2019. He then went onto the restricted list because he had a legal situation. So back in April 2020, he had a, uh, an incident with a law enforcement officer. He was charged with a felony. Now, he has attributed this to uh, a mental health crisis at the time, and his charge was reduced to a misdemeanor on the conditions that he completed 18 months of probation. So he had 18 months of probation before it was reduced to a misdemeanor. The timing of that means he was allowed to be in the States, but he could not get a work visa because he had a felony on his record. The felony was not going to go away until he finished the probation. So he could do spring training, he could do extended spring training workouts, things like that, but he could not officially play in games. They added him to the, to the roster to avoid the Rule 5 draft, put him right back on the restricted list so that it freed that spot up for them. They didn't have to use a 40-man spot on him and also protected him. Now, when he fulfilled his probation requirements, I think it was like maybe, I think it was the end of March, it was officially reduced to a misdemeanor. He was then able to get a work visa, got it at the end of April, and Arizona ended up having to reinstate him and then option him to the minors. This year, he officially got back in games for the first time since 2019. And again, he's been able to work out at the facility at extended spring. He could do batting practice. He could do bullpens, live, live BP, all that stuff. He couldn't play in games, though. So his first game action came this spring. He spent about a week in rookie ball, and then he spent most of the year in single A. He got 43 games in single A. They bumped him up to high A, and he got a little bit of time in double A. His collective slash line, this is for, for Christian Robinson, 65 games. The collective slash line was 283, 382, 532. 14 home runs, 26 extra base hits, 29 walks to 86 strikeouts, 23 of 30 on stolen bases. He is, so he's still ranked as a ranked prospect by everybody. MLB Pipeline has him like 11th. Baseball America has him like 17th. And the question was asked in the context of, could he still fit into the major league mix for Arizona? Because as we've seen, they're not satisfied with their outfielders. They traded one in the, in the Paul Seawall deal, which we're going to get to a little bit later because we've got a question about a guy from that. They moved some other guys around. They went out and got Tommy Pham to add to the outfield. And their top four right now are Lords Goriel, Corbin Carroll, Alec Thomas, and Tommy Pham. And Pham, I believe, is a free agent. There's a couple. One, obviously, he, I don't think he's going to contribute next year. He's 22 years old. He'll be 23 next year. And again, he got 65 games, like 270 plate appearances this last year. He can play all the outfield positions. He's got a decent enough arm. He's got good speed. He has a very high ceiling. The power is really good. 
all of that has still appeared to be there. It's a couple issues that he had that were part of the scouting report before he missed a bunch of time, and it was the aggressiveness, the swing and miss, the strikeouts. In 2019, in 69 games, he struck out 77 times between low A and single A, back when we had a low A. It was low A and single A. He struck out 77 times in 69 games in his age 18 year. We saw the swing and miss is still up. The ground ball rate is an issue. He hits too many balls on the ground. He kind of had that issue throughout the season. And what is more complicating for me here, I think, or for, for the Rays, no, sorry, not me, for the Rays, is the fact that he only has one minor league option remaining. When he was put on the 40-man roster, they had to use an option to, to, to move him. And according to Fangraph's roster resource, and I believe Baseball Reference corroborates this, he only has one minor league option remaining. Now, he's only 22 years old. He has plenty of time to make this work, right? Uh, But only having one option left makes it difficult as far as moving him around to the level when he comes up. If he's struggling, if he's not hitting, it's you only have one more opportunity to move him back and forth before you have to expose him to waivers every time you try to move him. You're probably going to slow play getting him to the bigs simply because once you pop that, that, that option, that's the only year you can do that. It honestly feels like what's going to end up happening is Christian Robinson's going to, they're going to try to slip him through waivers at some point in time. After all of this, and somebody else will grab him and get one additional option year with him, send him to their minors, and then call him up. I think, again, the tools are there. We saw flashes of the power. We saw all of that kind of stuff. He's just incredibly raw. And he needs a full season. He needs he needs a full hundred and whatever game season in AA this upcoming year, you know, in Amarillo to see how well he can hit, how can he handle... Major League Pitching. Uh, I'm surprised they didn't try to get him in AFL action, but maybe there's just something there. I don't quite know. And he'll be, like, he, so he's going to be on a similar time frame to guys like AJ Vukovic and other outfield options ahead of him. Never mind, you get to AAA and you've got a couple outfield options there, like uh, Diego Castillo and a Kyle Lewis. And Kyle Lewis is there. He was acquired via trade, things like that. So I don't quite know if he's going to be a major leaguer, I think the potential is still there. But logistically, the roster stuff is going to be what's hard to figure out when it comes to Christian Robinson. In just a minute, had a question actually about that Paul Seawall trade and Ryan Bliss going to Seattle, as well as some questions about some Dodgers pitchers. We'll get to those next right here on Locked and MLB Prospects. Final segment of Locked MLB Prospects here on a Mailbag Monday. Reminder, if you have questions for the show or a show idea, a lot of our shows come from, like especially this time of year, come from ideas from listeners. Tons of ways to get them to us. I'm on Twitter at Crosby Baseball. Show's on Twitter at Locked On Farm. You can email us. We have a Discord. We have a subtext. It's all in the episode description. It's all in the show notes. I think I have a link tree link in there, and it has links to everything. So, a question about the, that Paul Sewell trade and Ryan Bliss Going from Arizona to Seattle, does Ryan Bliss have a chance to be the starter at second base next year for Seattle? And 
The cynical answer here is he's going to be the cheapest option, so he probably has a good chance of starting. I'm just thinking back to that 54% winning percentage comment that we got from the GM. But for Ryan Bliss, so 128 games last year between AA and AAA. He was in Amarillo, then he was in Tacoma, and then after the trade, he was in Reno with, I'm sorry, Amarillo and Reno, and then after the trade, he was in Tacoma with Seattle. The combined slash line for Ryan Bliss, 304, 378, 524. 23 home runs, 67 extra base hits, 58 walks to 119 strikeouts, and 55 of 70 on stolen bases. Made the features game this year, part of the National League. He was a uh, second rounder in 2021 out of Auburn. Fun fact here, first prospect I ever interviewed was Ryan Bliss. Little soft spot in my heart for our short king, Ryan Bliss. He's 5'6". He was listed at 5'9 for a while, and then they officially started measuring guys in spring training. He's 5'6". A couple observations I had. AAA with Arizona and Reno didn't go great. AAA with Tacoma went better. And then when you look at what he played, he played mostly shortstop in Tacoma. He played all second base in Reno. So with Arizona's AAA, he played all second base. With Seattle's AAA, he played mostly shortstop with some second base. Now, shortstop, he wasn't great at shortstop. 943 fielding percentage in Tacoma, 953 overall his entire year between AA and AAA, and that was like 600 and, was it? Sorry, 446 innings at short. At second base, Again, small sample size, but in AAA, he had a perfect fielding percentage. And on the year, he had a 981. Now, when you look at the roster for Seattle, and you look at, the, at specifically the major league level, J.P. Crawford is your starting shortstop. But at second base, you cycled through some options. Another part of that Paul Sewell trade was Josh Rojas, who played second base uh, at age 29 there for Seattle and wasn't great in the trade. He was he had a good 22, a poor 23 in Arizona. He got moved and didn't do that much better with Seattle. So I think Ryan Bliss is a candidate there. It's going to be down to do you promote him or do you use one of the either Rojas or one of the utility types? Maybe Sam Haggerty plays a little bit of second. Maybe Dylan Moore, Jose Caballero, they're all on the roster. I think they can all do it. And when you look at Bliss's underlying numbers, you see a guy that he's probably going to have a little bit of strikeout problems. Again, 128 games, 119 strikeouts, but he's going to get on base plenty. 58 walks, on base of 378. Again, stole 55 bags. And the big thing is going to be watching his chase rate in AAA this year, because that's the publicly accessible number. In AAA this year, 29.6% chase rate. But in the zone, 84% zone contact. So not a blow-you-away number, but good enough. Question's going to be, how does that translate to the major league level? He'll be at spring training. I expect them to go with somebody else initially, but there's always the possibility that he gets called up partway through the year, whether it's because of injury or ineffectiveness. And I think after an adjustment period, I think Ryan Bliss can be a pretty gosh darn good second baseman at the major league level. The question is, what does that adjustment period look like for him? 
as far as learning to hit major league breaking pitches, balancing chase, contact, and things like that, and then understanding his power opportunities at the major league level. Rooting for Ryan Bliss, I don't think he's going to win the job at a spring training, but I absolutely think he could be a candidate for the job, for the second base job, during the year in 2024 for the Seattle Mariners. And then had a question about, again, going back to that mailbag we had with the pitchers who are going to debut, had a question about Nick Frosso and Kyle Hurt with the Dodgers. And to clarify here, Hurt already debuted. He was he pitched in 26 games in the minors this year, but he got one relief appearance of two innings at the major league level, faced six batters, got three strikeouts, no hits, no runs, no walks. Hurt very much feels like they've already decided he's probably a reliever over a starter at the major league level. 16 games started, 26 total appearances, 15 of those 16 starts were in AA Tulsa. When he got to AAA Oklahoma City, he only started one additional time. But in that, again, 4-4 four and four record, 3-9-1 ERA in 92 innings pitched, 152 strikeouts, so 14.9 strikeouts per nine innings for Kyle Hurt, to 44 walks, 4.3 per nine, 10 home runs allowed, so one every nine innings, 1.228 whip. And for Hurt, he was much better as a reliever than a starter. As a starter, 0-3-4-4-5 ERA. As a reliever, 4-1-280 ERA. Strikeout rate was about the same, but the walk rate was better as a reliever than it was as a starter. And he gave up a lot less home runs because a lot of the home runs came from fatigue later in the later in the outing. The actual stuff, fastball changeup is the main two offerings there. He has a slider. He throws a bunch of stuff. Don't get me wrong. Fastball changeup. He throws, again, he has a cutter. I think that sometimes a slider and cutter blend together, and that's why they're broken out, even though they're just very similar. Curveball has a sinker. He throws occasionally, but fastball, since their average is 96, he can run it up to 98 or so. Uh, and the thing for Kyle Hurt is the command is not great. Struggles to command the fastball. Some of that is mechanical. Some of that I feel is still, I'm not going to say emotional, but it's approach, right? It feels like he gets frustrated in a longer outing. And so later in the outing, he'll struggle, he'll get frustrated, and it kind of spirals. So I think they moved him to relief. I think that was a smart move. And I think keeping him in relief is probably the way to go. Big body, 6'3", 240. Big guy, really low slot on the fastball, but gets a lot of movement up in the zone. So we've talked about this in the past, but it's a combination of unusual things that make the fastball hard to hit, right? The velocity's good. The vertical approach angle is unusual, gets really good ride out of that approach angle. So because he's throwing it lower, because it has good ride, it looks like it's rising. Unusual sight picture. The, the changeup is a plus changeup. He can locate that pretty well. The slider, we mentioned the blends together. I always thought it was more of a cutter. He calls it a slider, whatever. It's shorter movement when it reads as the cutter. I feel like it's a little bit better than when it gets a little bit loopier and reads as the slider. But it's really the fastball changeup combo with that cutter as the third pitch. And again, it all comes back to control. I like Kyle Hurd as a reliever. I think he could be pretty dominant. It's just a question of 
how long can he go before you have to pull him? And can he get through adversity in an outing to to continue to deliver his pitches? For Frosso, all starts this year. A lot of people think he's going to be a reliever. I know Chris Clegg from the Dynasty Dugout. We've had him on before. He's one of the guys that thinks that Frosso is more likely to be a reliever than a starter. But on the year, 25 starts between AA Tulsa and AAA Oklahoma City. Most of those in Tulsa. 4 and 6, 377 ERA. Had 107 strikeouts in 93 innings, so 10.4 per nine, to 31 walks. That's three walks per nine innings, and only four home runs allowed, so 0.4 home runs with a 1.269 whip. Hit, okay, for Nick Frosso, super athletic, basketball player, 6'5", and has really long arms, really good extension, like almost seven foot of extension. The AAA numbers are nuts on this. And the fastball has great velocity, one, but then two, the extension on it makes it play up. Now, he's shifted from more of a four-seamer to more of a sinker, and but still, it has good, we talked about this recently, sinkers up in the zone are becoming a little more common now because it just has different movement from that four-seamer, right? So the sinker up in the zone, really good there. The secondaries are not great. He's thrown sliders. He kind of alternates between a sweeper and more of a shorter breaking, more traditional looking slider. Neither one of them are that great. And I think ultimately that's the issue. The sinker, for Nick Frosso, the fastball, as is common, is under 30% CSW. But nothing else he throws is over 30%. Some of that's the location issue. Some of that's the quality of the secondaries. So... Probably destined to be a reliever simply because none of those secondaries have really come around. The changeup, I think, could be really good. Uh, it, it, it could be plus. It tunnels well with the fastball, but he just has to be more consistent with it. And then none of the breaking stuff breaks that consistently or that. So we'll see what happens there. Either way, going to be really intriguing to see what happens to these two guys. Fantastic week this week. Reminder, if you have questions for us, show ideas, anything like that, I'm on Twitter at Crossy Baseball. Tons of other ways to reach us. It's in the episode description. It's in the show notes. Until tomorrow's show, remember, it's always a great time to pay a minor leaguer.